Chapter 5 Obstinate Toy Soldiers The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. We do not know, anyway I do not know, how things would have worked if the human race had never rebelled against God and joined the enemy. Perhaps every man would have been in Christ, would have shared the life of the Son of God from the moment he was born. Perhaps the bios, or natural life, would have been drawn up into the zoe, the uncreated life, at once and as a matter of course. But that is guesswork. You and I are concerned with the way things work now. And the present state of things is this. The two kinds of life are now not only different, they would always have been that, but actually opposed. The natural life in each of us is something self-centered, something that wants to be petted and admired, to take advantage of other lives, to exploit the whole universe. And especially it wants to be left to itself, to keep well away from anything better or stronger or higher than it, anything that might make it feel small. It is afraid of the light and air of the spiritual world, just as people who have been brought up to be dirty are afraid of a bath. And in a sense it is quite right. It knows that if the spiritual life gets hold of it, all its self-centeredness and self-will are going to be killed, and it is ready to fight tooth and nail to avoid that. Did you ever think, when you were a child, what fun it would be if your toys would come to life? Well, suppose you could really have them brought to life. Imagine turning a tin soldier into a real little man. It would involve turning the tin into flesh. And suppose the tin soldier did not like it. He is not interested in flesh. All he sees is that the tin is being spoiled. He thinks you are killing him. He will do everything he can to prevent you. He will not be made into a man if he can help it. What you would have done about that tin soldier, I do not know. But what God did about us was this. The second person in God, the Son, became human himself, was born into the world as an actual man, a real man of a particular height, with hair of a particular color, speaking a particular language, weighing so many stone. The eternal being, who knows everything and who created the whole universe, became not only a man, but, before that, a baby, and before that, a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think how you would like to become a slug or a crab. The result of this was that you now had one man who really was what all men were intended to be, one man in whom the created life, derived from his mother, allowed itself to be completely and perfectly turned into the begotten life. The natural human creature in him was taken up fully into the divine son. Thus, in one instance, humanity had, so to speak, arrived, had passed into the life of Christ. And because the whole difficulty for us is that the natural life has to be, in a sense, killed, he chose an earthly career which involved the killing of his human desires at every turn, Poverty, misunderstanding from his own family, betrayal by one of his intimate friends, being jeered at and manhandled by the police, and execution by torture. And then, after being thus killed, killed every day in a sense, the human creature in him, because it was united to the divine Son, came to life again. The man in Christ rose again, not only the God. That is the whole point. For the first time we saw a real man. One tin soldier, real tin just like the rest, had come fully and splendidly alive. And here, of course, we come to the point where my illustration about the tin soldier breaks down. In the case of real toy soldiers or statues, if one came to life, it would obviously make no difference to the rest. They are all separate. But human beings are not. They look separate because you see them walking about separately. But then we are so made that we can see only the present moment. If we could see the past, then of course it would look different. For there was a time when every man was part of his mother, and earlier still, part of his father as well, and when they were part of his grandparents. If you could see humanity spread out in time, as God sees it, it would not look like a lot of separate things dotted about. It would look like one single growing thing, rather like a very complicated tree. Every individual would appear connected with every other. And not only that. 
Individuals are not really separate from God any more than from one another. Every man, woman, and child all over the world is feeling and breathing at this moment only because God, so to speak, is keeping him going. Consequently, when Christ becomes man, it is not really as if you could become one particular tin soldier. It is as if something which is always affecting the whole human mass begins at one point to affect that whole human mass in a new way. From that point, the effect spreads through all mankind. It makes a difference to people who lived before Christ as well as to people who lived after him. It makes a difference to people who have never heard of him. It is like dropping into a glass of water one drop of something which gives a new taste or a new color to the whole lot. But, of course, none of these illustrations really works perfectly. In the long run, God is no one but himself, and what he does is like nothing else. You could hardly expect it to be. What, then, is the difference which he has made to the whole human mass? It is just this, that the business of becoming a son of God, of being turned from a created thing into a begotten thing, of passing over from the temporary biological life into timeless spiritual life, has been done for us. Humanity is already saved in principle. We individuals have to appropriate that salvation. But the really tough work, the bit we could not have done for ourselves, has been done for us. We have not got to try to climb up into spiritual life by our own efforts. It has already come down into the human race. If we will only lay ourselves open to the one man in whom it was fully present, and who, in spite of being God, is also a real man, he will do it in us and for us. Remember what I said about good infection. One of our own race has this new life. If we get close to him, we shall catch it from him. Of course, you can express this in all sorts of different ways. You can say that Christ died for our sins. You may say that the Father has forgiven us because Christ has done for us what we ought to have done. You may say that we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. You may say that Christ has defeated death. They are all true. If any of them do not appeal to you, leave it alone and get on with the formula that does. And, whatever you do, do not start quarreling with other people because they use a different formula from yours. Chapter 6. Two Notes In order to avoid misunderstanding, I here add notes on two points arising out of the last chapter. 1. One sensible critic wrote asking me why, if God wanted sons instead of toy soldiers, he did not beget many sons at the outset, instead of first making toy soldiers and then bringing them to life by such a difficult and painful process. One part of the answer to this question is fairly easy. The other part is probably beyond all human knowledge. The easy part is this. The process of being turned from a creature into a son would not have been difficult or painful if the human race had not turned away from God centuries ago. They were able to do this because he gave them free will. He gave them free will because a world of mere automata could never love and therefore never know infinite happiness. The difficult part is this. All Christians are agreed that there is, in the full and original sense, only one Son of God. If we insist on asking, but could there have been many? We find ourselves in very deep water. Have the words, could have been, any sense at all when applied to God? You can say that one particular finite thing could have been different from what it is, because it would have been different if something else had been different, and the something else would have been different if some third thing had been different, and so on. The letters on this page would have been red if the printer had used red ink, and he would have used red ink if he had been instructed to, and so on. But when you are talking about God, that is, about the rock-bottom irreducible fact on which all other facts depend, it is nonsensical to ask if it could have been otherwise. It is what it is and there is an end of the matter. But quite apart from this, I find a difficulty about the very idea of the Father begetting many sons from all eternity. In order to be many, they would have to be somehow different from one another. Two pennies have the same shape. How are they two? By occupying different places and containing different atoms. In other words, to think of them as different, we have had to bring in space and matter. In fact, we have had to bring in nature, or the created universe. 
I can understand the distinction between the Father and the Son without bringing in space or matter, because the one begets and the other is begotten. The Father's relation to the Son is not the same as the Son's relation to the Father. But if there were several sons, they would all be related to one another and to the Father in the same way. How would they differ from one another? One does not notice the difficulty at first, of course. One thinks one can form the idea of several sons. But when I think closely, I find that the idea seemed possible only because I was vaguely imagining them as human forms standing about together in some kind of space. In other words, though I pretended to be thinking about something that exists before any universe was made, I was really smuggling in the picture of a universe and putting that something inside it. When I stop doing that and still try to think of the Father beginning many sons before all worlds, I find I am not really thinking of anything. The idea fades away into mere words. Was nature, space and time and matter, created precisely in order to make manyness possible? Is there perhaps no other way of getting many eternal spirits except by first making many natural creatures in the universe and then spiritualizing them? But of course all this is guesswork. 2. The idea that the whole human race is, in a sense, one thing, one huge organism like a tree, must not be confused with the idea that individual differences do not matter, or that real people, Tom and Nobby and Kate, are somehow less important than collective things like classes, races, and so forth. Indeed, the two ideas are opposites. Things which are parts of a single organism may be very different from one another. Things which are not may be very alike. Six pennies are quite separate and very alike. My nose and my lungs are very different, but they are only alive at all because they are parts of my body and share its common life. Christianity thinks of human individuals not as mere members of a group or items in a list, but as organs in a body, different from one another, and each contributing what no other could. When you find yourself wanting to turn your children or pupils or even your neighbors into people exactly like yourself, remember that God probably never meant them to be that. You and they are different organs, intended to do different things. On the other hand, when you are tempted not to bother about someone else's troubles because they are no business of yours, remember that though he is different from you, he is part of the same organism as you. If you forget that he belongs to the same organism as yourself, you will become an individualist. If you forget that he is a different organ from you, if you want to suppress differences and make people all alike, you will become a totalitarian. But a Christian must not be either a totalitarian or an individualist. I feel a strong desire to tell you, and I expect you feel a strong desire to tell me, which of these two errors is the worse. That is the devil getting at us. He always sends errors into the world in pairs, pairs of opposites, and he always encourages us to spend a lot of time thinking which is the worse. You see why, of course. He relies on your extra dislike of the one error to draw you gradually into the opposite one. But do not let us be fooled. We have to keep our eyes on the goal and go straight through between both errors. We have no other concern than that with either of them.